everyone for your good singing. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for who you are, that you were holy, righteous, and just, and that you love us so much that you've given your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. And Father God, I thank you that we can enjoy you and worship you today, not just in song, but in every aspect of this service, in our opening of the scriptures together and fellowship later, and certainly as we sing, and in our giving, in every aspect. Father God, I ask you that you would be worshipped. Oh Lord, I do also pray that if there's someone here today that hasn't yet accepted Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would make sure that they have heaven as their home, sins forgiven, and that wonderful eternal life with Christ. And Father God, I ask you too that we would make a difference in our community as we share our faith, the faith of, that's been revealed in the Bible about Christ and eternal life with those who are around us, our neighbors and friends. And Father God, I ask you too that wherever your word is proclaimed today, you would bless it as well as here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There is a friend of ours, and Juanetta and I were talking about Dr. Rick Schrader this morning, who says, we don't come together to worship. We're worshipers who come together. And there is a big difference. Think that through. As we sing, bow the knee, number 13. Good morning. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in secret from thy presence, from the pride of men. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he that... For he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off before thine eyes. 
nevertheless thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. O Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful, plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he so strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Obadiah. <clears throat> Obadiah? How many of you have ever heard a sermon out of Obadiah before? Okay, a few. All right. If you can't find it, you can start at Daniel. Most people can find Daniel and go to Hosea, Joel, Amos, and then Obadiah. Or you could start at Matthew in the New Testament and count backwards nine books, and you'll find Obadiah. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent from among the heathen, or sent not from, but among, sent among the heathen, arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we open the pages of your holy book, the Bible, I ask you that as we consider this short, seemingly short, prophecy in the Old Testament, that we would recognize it is inspired of you, all of it is inspired, and that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that we might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And Father God, I ask you that we would learn from your word today, that we would apply it to our hearts and our minds and our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our words. Father God, I ask you that in every way, you would be the one who is honored and worshipped as we open this portion of Scripture today. May it make a difference in our lives, Father God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would have free course. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Anybody know somebody with the name Obadiah? Anybody name your pet Oba? <laughs> I kind of guessed at that, but there it is. Not a very common name, not a very common book of the Bible for us to consider much, but it is part of the Bible. Let's not skip over what we might think to be common, if you will. Uh, this is what we call one of the minor prophets, not because it's minor in content, that just simply because it's shorter there's only 21 verses. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. 21 verses long. Obadiah is one of those wonderful Hebrew names that means servant of the Lord. And that means servant of Yahweh, the one who is the self-existent one. Servant of the Lord. It might be said to be a lot of things, but this would be a great epitaph on, on a grave marker, on my tombstone someday, or your tombstone. It made me think of Louis Miller. Some of us knew Louis. He went to heaven at 99 years and 9 months old. He didn't quite make it to 100. But every day, he would talk to those old folks in the in the nursing home where he lived the last 15 years of his life because they were about to meet their maker and they needed to know him. Louis was faithful to the very end. He was a servant of the Lord. Those of us who knew him knew some of his cliches. One of them was, keep on keeping on for the Lord. So I can see in my mind's eye in heaven if there was some sort of epitaph for Louis this is one who kept on keeping on for the Lord. Obadiah's name is telltale. Certainly, names in our Bibles even have important meaning, and this is one of them. When did Obadiah write this prophecy? When did he write? <clears throat> it is... Uh, Debated whether it was in about 840 B.C. or 585 B.C. I'll give you some information and you can decide. 
I have, at least to the best of my ability. Uh, there's an internal clue found for us in verses 10 through 14. So in Obadiah, I'm not going to say chapter 1. I'm just going to say verses 10 through 14. So find those verses. Obadiah 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt cut off forever, or be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. There were times in history where Judah was violently attacked by enemy nations around them. And Edom, who we read about in verse 1, Edom took advantage of that, and they should not have. Obadiah apparently wrote shortly after an attack on Judah and Jerusalem where Edom entered in and took booty, causing more harm to Judah. So this happened shortly after one of those times when an enemy attacked Judah and Jerusalem. There were four significant times in the Old Testament. There were some others, but there were four significant invasions of Jerusalem in Old Testament history. One was by Shishak of Egypt in 925 B.C. Another one was by the Philistines and the Arabians, which lasted from 848 to 841 B.C. The third was when Jehoash of Israel, the northern ten tribes, came down and attacked Judah and Benjamin, the southern two tribes, in 790 B.C. A prominent one that many of you would remember, the book of Daniel comes out of that, is when Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem in 605 B.C. and eventually took it all in 586 B.C. So it was one of those times that Edom came in and took advantage of beat-up Judah and Jerusalem. The one that seems to fit in my way of thinking is when the Philistines and Arabs left Jerusalem impoverished in 848 to 841 B.C. Let's go to 2 Chronicles now and see that time. 2 Chronicles 21, 8 through 20. It's a fairly lengthy passage. Just bear with me as I read it. 2 Chronicles 21... I'm going to start at verse 8. In his days, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he arose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand, and because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers, moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and to compel Judah thereto. And, compelled Judah thereto. and there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, 
Because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and, that hath made, <clears throat> and hath made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the, of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself, behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people, and thy children, and thy wives, and all thy goods, and thou shalt have a great sickness by disease of the bowels, thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives so that there was never a son left him, save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. And, it, and after all this, the Lord smote him in, the bowels, in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came to pass that in the process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness. So he died of sore diseases. And his people made no burying for him, like the burying of his father's. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in sepulchres of the kings. <clears throat> I believe that one fits the best when the Philistines and Arabs came against Judah in 848 to 841 BC. The Edomites are mentioned there as being part of the problem. As we'll see, they should have been, because of their family tree, they should have been a help. Instead, they were a harm. Obadiah did not mention a total destruction in, his, in the prophecy that we're looking at. Obadiah as you read through it, you'll notice there's not a total destruction of Jerusalem, which did happen under Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon in 586 B.C. So, since that isn't mentioned in Obadiah, I personally lean on the time just following when the Philistines and Arabs sacked Jerusalem and Judah somewhere around 840 B.C., so, if it is that date that places Obadiah as the first of all the Old Testament prophets to mention the day of the Lord, that formula, the day of the Lord. It is mentioned several times throughout the Old Testament referring to a time yet future for us when there will be promises kept for Israel and the enemies of Israel will be defeated and that day is yet coming. We'll be focusing on Obadiah's mention of the day of the Lord in the weeks ahead as I continue through this book of the Bible. So apparently... I'm going to say it that way. Obadiah was the first prophet to ever mention the day of the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? Who was Obadiah? We've talked a little bit about his name. There was an Obadiah servant who was a king, a servant of the king of King Ahab in 1 Kings 18. But he's not to be confused with our prophet. There were actually, if you, as you read through the genealogies and some of the guys in our Bible study, like Tom and Randy talk about reading through genealogies, you'll notice there are 13 men with the name Obadiah in the Old Testament. Wow. None of them can be identified with certainty as our prophet. Interesting, isn't it? God chose not to reveal his father, his mother, his family tree, other than certainly 
he was identified with Judah and the tribe either Judah or Benjamin that was those tribes were around Jerusalem so we don't know about his family and <laughs> we did not know where he came from it doesn't tell he doesn't tell us we don't know about his accomplishments in sports was he a great basketball player we don't know was he someone who was well educated we don't know what school of the prophets did he go to? We don't know. Maybe there's a message there for us just in that. He, Obadiah, was not important, but his God was. He was not the famous TV prophet or a sought-after conference speaker. We don't know of any fame he was not a famous celebrity or royalty or the founder of the famous OIM, the Obadiah International Ministries. We don't know any of that because the Bible doesn't tell us. John the Baptist said of Christ and his message, John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Good verse. I have adopted that in as one of my verses for the year in the past. I believe that Obadiah was like that, like John the Baptist. God must be the one that is focused upon and not me. There's a, a trouble among even Christians about that. Paul could have been famous. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament could have been famous and in many ways was, but the cry of his heart was this that I might know him, that's Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul did not want to be exalted. He wanted Christ to be exalted. None of these sought the limelight, Obadiah or John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul, but that God might be the one who received the honor and the glory Obadiah wrote his God-inspired prophecy to a certain people group named Edom. We notice that in verse 1. It wasn't directly to Israel. We will see that, it, I believe, Obadiah's prophecy against Edom was also to be a comfort for Israel, that God would take care of all their problems. By the way, God is just and God will make things all right as they should be in his time and in his way. That generation in Judah didn't see the Edomites wiped out yet, but God did take care of them. And we'll see more about that as we go through this prophecy. As you notice in verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. The heathen there just simply means the other nations. There is in view here Judah and Edom and all the rest of the nations. That's the heathen mentioned there. And... <clears throat> I believe the ambassador was most likely Obadiah himself. However, it could have been someone else. Let me also ask you to go to Luke chapter 24 in the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 24 in the New Testament. 24, 24, okay? That's easy to remember. Luke chapter 24, the 24th verse. And Jesus himself here on that is in view. Luke twenty four twenty four. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. This is immediately after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25. Luke twenty four twenty five. And he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, 
Obadiah included, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they recognized him soon after that. Over also in verse 44, it says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. We will be looking as we go through Obadiah for Jesus. He is there. And we will be looking for him. He's, the Bible tells us so. And I'm looking forward to that in Obadiah's writings. And we will be looking forward to some fulfilled prophecy in Obadiah's writings. And yet, there is some to be fulfilled even yet for us at Christ's second coming. At Christ's second coming. Now, Obadiah wrote to Edom, a nation south of the Dead Sea, and the Edomites had become wealthy at the expense of others, including Judah, as we've already seen. And, we read in, and we've already read that. And they had built great fortified cities like Petra on the front of our bulletins. Isn't that a neat picture? <coughs> I asked if any, if Brandon said he got close once. Has anyone ever been to Petra? That would be intriguing, interesting to me. A week or so ago, um, the Cutches and Juanetta and I were talking about cliff dwellings in southern Utah, and we've seen some in southern Colorado and some in Arizona. They're pretty impressive. But wow, the Edomites built something incredible, didn't they? They had built great fortified cities like Petra, and Petra, you may know, means rock. And the ancient site of Petra is about a half mile wide and a mile long. And there is a lot of those buildings carved into the rock with some spectacular features. Carved out of that reddish rocky cliffs is a theater, a Roman-style theater capable of seating 4,000 people. Ed Deer is a temple that's carved out of those cliffs that's 165 feet wide and 148 feet tall. And, of course, the famous Cosne, which is the treasury on the front of our bulletins, is 92 feet wide and 130 feet tall. And you'll notice in the lower left-hand corner of the picture is a person. There's one person in the photo. Gives you a perspective of what the Edomites had built. It was a noted center for pagan practices. And on the famed King's Highway, you've heard of that, which was an essential trade route linking North Africa with Europe and Asia. It was also known as, Edom was also known as Edumia in Greek. Edom has disappeared from the world scene as of the first century AD. There is no more Edom. But the remnants of the archaeological sites are incredible. By the way, here's another interesting thing about the Edomites. You remember the Herodian family in the New Testament? Herod the Great and all of those bums? <laughs> they were Edomians. They were Edomites by heritage. They're also gone, just as God has said. Where did these Edomites come from? And who were these Edomites that Obadiah wrote about in verse 1? It was not just a rumor. A rumor, we think of it in an Americanized way, a rumor. But the word means report or tidings. That's what it means. A report or tidings from the Lord. Who was this ambassador? I, I think it was Obadiah himself. But it could have been one from Israel or Judah Someone sent to those other nations was an ambassador. We don't know. I think it was probably Obadiah himself. And he was calling others from the heathen nations, if you will, to join in against Edom because Edom was not doing God's will. Who were these Edomites? Go to Genesis 25. I'm glad we have the whole Bible and not just parts of it. Genesis chapter 25 
And you'll see this right up front. You'll see, you'll see it right away. Genesis chapter 25. Okay. We'll start at verse 24. Genesis 25, starting at verse 24. This was after Abraham died. And when her days were to be delivered, I said that wrong, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like an hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, which means supplanter. And Isaac was threescore years old when she, Rebecca, bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. <coughs> I missed something. Let's go back to verse 19, okay? These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, and the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived and the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. There were conflict between these two boys before they were even born. Before the twins were born. And then, as we read in verses 24 through 27, these two brothers were not identical twins, were they? No. They were quite opposites. Esau was a self-sufficient, it seems, tough-type outdoorsman, depending on his own abilities. And Jacob liked to cook indoors. Some have said Jacob liked to stay hanging on his mother's apron strings, but Jacob had some spiritual discernment that Esau did not. Go to Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. Okay? 29. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. And therefore was his name called Edom, which means red. Okay? And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way, and Esau despised his birthright. Esau was willing to trade all his spiritual heritage from Abraham and Isaac on a whim. Sure, he was weak from not eating but were there other things to eat around him? Of course there would have been. The man who had the birthright was in contact with God and was the priest of the family back in those days. The one who had the birthright. The covenant from God to his fathers was to continue through that one who had the birthright. And Abraham, and extending through Isaac and Jacob and we realize that covenant from God to Abraham is still in effect. And instead of through Esau, it was through Jacob. In effect, Esau said, I'd rather have a bowl of soup than a relationship with God. Basically, that's what it boils down to. Oh, well. <laughs> 
In Malachi 1, verses 2 and 3, also we find it in Romans chapter 9, the Bible says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. Now that's a hard saying. This is a strange thing for God to say. I love Jacob and I hated Esau. I- immediately some problems arise with that in our minds, don't they? A student once approached Dr. Griffith Thomas with this question. Dr. Thomas, I am having a problem with this statement in Malachi. I cannot understand why God says he hated Esau. Dr. Thomas replied, young man, I am having a problem with that verse also. But my problem is different from yours. I can understand why he hated Esau, but I cannot understand why he loved Jacob. Why God loves me, dear friend, I don't know. I don't deserve it any more than Jacob, nor do you. Well, the thing that lends importance to the little book of Obadiah is this, according to Dr. J. Vernon McGee. It is the only place in the Word of God where we find the explanation of why God hated Esau. Interesting. We find it in Malachi. We find it in Romans chapter 9. Now, two centuries later, go back to Obadiah. In Obadiah, verses 2, 3, and 4, we read, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. That's Edom. And I I could, by the way, I could have read more about um, Esau being called Edom in chapter 36 of Genesis, but I'm taking time not to do that. There's more to to this. Anyway, so back to uh, Obadiah chapter... I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Obadiah, verse 2. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Um, Pride was the problem back in the days of Esau and now after generations had passed in the days of the Edomites, resulting in the way they treated the things and the people of God Pride caused, if you will, Satan to fall. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. I underlined five times that Satan said, I will be like the Most High. I will sit on the throne in the sides of the north and so on. And in Ezekiel 28, Satan's pride caused him to fall from a holy angel to an unholy angel and then pride caused Adam and Eve to fall. Pride caused King Saul to fall. Pride caused many others, even some TV evangelists in our days to fall and can cause you and me to fall too. The famous Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, we as Christians have two natures. In Romans chapter 7 and in Galatians chapter 5 verse 17, we learn that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. It can be said that Esau pictures the flesh, that old nature, and Jacob pictures the spirit, our new nature. I don't want to go too far with allegory like that, but we can see a parallel there. Esau, if you magnify Esau a hundred thousand times through the generations from Genesis 25 to the writings of Obadiah, 
it became the Edom of Obadiah's day. I'm going to go ahead and read out of Genesis 36 for you. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. And Esau took his wives, verse 6, and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance which he had got in the land of Canaan and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their riches were more than they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, south of the Dead Sea, where on the cover of our bulletins is a picture. Esau is Edom, it says at the end of verse 8. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in Mount Seir. Esau was a proud and a foolish man. Pride and arrogance are hated by God. Thus we can learn why God hated Esau and the Edomites that Obadiah wrote against. Proverbs 6, verse 16 is not the only place. There are other passages like chapter 8 in Proverbs. These six things, though, it says, the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. This is Proverbs six seventeen. now. A proud look. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. We could take those few verses and do a series of sermons just on those. God hates those things. They're an abomination to him. And you notice pride is the first one mentioned. Lying is mentioned. Wicked imaginations quick running to mischief and even sowing discord among the brethren. God hates those things. Yes, we think of God as the God of love. And the Bible tells us he is. Now, (laughs) in Jeremiah 31, it says that he has loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness has he drawn us. But that's not the whole picture of the God of the Bible. He also hates some things, doesn't he? God wants us to learn a lesson from the pen of Obadiah. The descendants of Esau are gone. They are gone. But Jacob's descendants, they weren't perfect, but they're still with us. James 4 verse 6 says, but he giveth more grace, and I'm glad for that, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. There is always opportunity for God's grace. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, it says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Jacob sought and learned to follow his God. Eventually, it took him decades. He knew the Lord personally. Esau did not. What about you? Do you know the Lord personally? Have you made that choice in your life to believe in his way of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus, who is God, actually died physically on that cross and was buried just as the scripture says, but rose again the third day. Have you placed faith in him? Do you know the Lord personally? I challenge you, if you aren't sure, to make sure today. Maybe that's why you're here, is to make sure of that today. For those of us who do know the Lord personally, we struggle with those two natures. Let's feed the one, the spiritual nature, and starve out the fleshly nature, which leads to pride. 
and destruction. And that's what Obadiah wrote about. Edom's pride led to their destruction. And the way they treated others led to their destruction. Certainly their rejection of the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac, led to their destruction. So, dear friend, you may have heaven as your home, but you can face a lot of difficulty and struggle and harm if these enter your life as Proverbs 16 through 19 tell us. Heavenly Father, I don't know the hearts of those who are here, but you do. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would work work. If someone needs Christ as Savior, that they would certainly make sure of that today by coming to me after the service or one of our other dear church folks that would, many of us would be glad to open the Bible and tell them how they can have heaven as their home and a relationship with you that lasts forever. But also, Heavenly Father, I realize that many struggle with some of the issues that came up in this introduction to Obadiah that are Christians and that are causing them misery and struggles right now. Father God, I ask you that they would give those things over to you. The Holy Spirit would work in their hearts and minds and that we might be those who, in a right way, have a humility before you that you give us grace. I ask for that, Father God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Once again, if you have anything that you would like to include me in, there is, as far as an invitation goes, I hope you understand we're a small group and conspicuous and all of that. Please talk with me. We do want to deal with matters that you may be struggling with and certainly you can talk with me or my wife and we would be glad to share with you out of the word of God some of the answers that you may be seeking open your songbooks. I'd like to ask everybody to stand as we're dismissed number 116 I also am not sure why God loves us, but he does. Number 116, the wonder of it all.